I just want to say that before we start the message tonight, that unlike on Sunday where I've sort of suspended my normal series that we were doing in the Gospel of Luke for four weeks and we're doing something in Isaiah, Wednesday night I decided not to suspend what we were doing up to this point when we began live streaming. So we were in the midst of a nine-week prophecy series on the rapture of the church, the second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ, and in heaven, what awaits us as believers. And so if you have your Bibles tonight, I'd like you to join me in Revelation chapter 21. For just the next two weeks, we're going to wrap up this prophecy series, and then starting in three weeks from tonight, we're going to be starting a brand new series through the book of Colossians, and we hope you'll join us for that. Whether we're still live streaming or we're all back together at some point, but just sort of wanted to lay out there for you where we are headed. You know, all of us enjoy looking forward to something. In fact, many times in life, being able to look forward to something sort of keeps us going. And God understands that. That's part of the reason why he laid out in the word his plan for what awaits us as his children in the future. It's part of that living hope that you and I have to, to live with every day. It's, it's that confident expectation of future good that God has for us. And, and all of us need to realize that sometimes, especially when we're going through times of hardship and adversity, we can sort of drown in our present circumstances and forget about what's coming ahead. And, and God always wants us to live with that living hope and to look past our present circumstances to the glorious future because the best is yet to come for God's children. And you really get that sense, especially at the end of the book of Revelation for what God has for us. A couple of things too before we dive into this tonight that, that I want to talk about that sort of summarizes uh, the material we're going to be talking about tonight. One is that when you study the last couple chapters of Revelation, you realize that even in eternity, even in heaven, when we all get there, that God is the very center of everything. He's the center of it all. And we sort of sung about that tonight and, and worship to that truth. And the reason I want to bring that up is if that's going to be true throughout eternity, then we should be also making sure that that's true right here and now in our lives, that God is at the center of our lives, that God is the center of all that we do, all that we think, and all of that. And then the second thing is this. What you see is how much God has planned and prepared and designed for us in the future. Not for him. God doesn't need any of this. God could have existed for all of eternity without anything other than himself. He's the self-existent one. And he would have been perfectly good to exist just by himself. Everything then that God has created is not for him, it's for his creation, and especially for us. And when you think about then the level and the extent that God goes to, even in the future, what we're going to be talking about over the next couple of weeks, you begin to think, wow, God, if you have put that much thought and forethought and effort and planning and design into this eternity that's just for us, not for you primarily, then can we not trust you right here and now? 
Because if you went to all that for us, for all of eternity, can we not then rest in what you have for us now and know that you're going to bring us through it? So I, I want you to keep those two overarching things in mind as we go through uh, some of chapter 21 tonight of the book of Revelation. I sort of divided it up into two sections tonight. In the first eight verses, what I see there is a real description of the character of God and what awaits us even as God's children once we get to the new heaven and the new earth. And then in verses 9 through 21, we're going to be starting to talk tonight about the city of God and some aspects about that. You'll notice in chapter 21, verse 1, that John, the apostle, says, I saw a new heaven and a new earth for the first heaven and the earth that once existed has now ceased to exist. You see, obviously we're going way far in the future. Even after the thousand-year earthly millennial reign of Christ, God still has this wonderful plan for all of eternity for his children. And one day, God is going to literally wipe out this heavens and this earth as we know it. Why? Because even during the millennial kingdom, this earth and the heavens as we know it are still tainted in some way by sin and by sinful men. It is only at the end of the millennial kingdom is God finally going to get rid of all traces of imperfection, all traces of sin, and literally create a new heaven and a new earth. At the end of verse 1, it also says, and the sea existed no more, which is curious. We don't know a lot of why God chooses not to have seas or oceans in the new heaven and the new earth. One thing, though, is that the sea is not habitable by us. We can't exist in the sea. We weren't built to exist in the sea. So it's not that there's not going to be water in the new heaven and the new earth that God creates for us. There's going to be plenty of water that we see in other places, but just not big expanses or bodies of water because that's not where we're going to inhabit or live. And then the Bible says in verse 2 of Revelation 21, and I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, this visible capital of the heavenly kingdom descending out of heaven from God, made ready like a bride adorned for her husband. Again, the concept here is that God has prepared this and is preparing this, and it is beautiful, which is why he describes it as a bride adorned for her husband. He's literally making it compelling, uh, compellingly attractive. It is going to be very appealing and very inviting for us. It's going to be a beautiful place, and the first thing then we learn in Revelation 21 about this new heaven and this new earth and this wonderful future that God has planned for us is that it reminds us that he's a God who creates. And he didn't just create back in the book of Genesis. God continues to create. In fact, you and I, when we become believers in Jesus Christ, we're called the new creations of God. Old things are passing away. All things are becoming new. God is always in the business, if you will, of creation. Whether it's creating things in our life, whether it's as Jesus did, he said, I'm going to prepare a place for you, and if I go and prepare a place for you, I'll come again and receive you unto myself, 
God is always creating things, always building things, always designing things. And, and notice here, and we're going to see this as we move through this tonight, the beauty of it. I mean, you and I even look around at the earth today that, again, is tainted by sin. And as, as Paul says in Romans, is groaning to be delivered from, from the weight of, of the curse. And yet, it's still very beautiful in many respects. Can you imagine what the new heaven and the new earth is going to be like that God is going to create for us? Again, not for his enjoyment. He doesn't need it. He's creating all of this for us to be able to experience him and, and to enjoy him forever, but also just to enjoy and experience ourselves. A God who creates. But then notice verse 2. He's also a God who connects. John says, And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, literally, behold, the residence of God is among human beings. Literally, God has pitched his tent amongst us. It's, it's the word where we get the concept of the Old Testament tabernacle, where God literally set up a tabernacle in the midst of his people and had his people camp around the tabernacle. And the tabernacle and the Holy of Holies was, was representative of God's presence amongst his people. And God is saying, I'm going to do the same thing in the new heaven and the new earth. Why? Because God wants to live in intimate, vibrant connection with us. God wants to dwell close to us and be near to us. And he will do everything in his power to make sure that any barriers or, or obstacles that come between us and him are removed, which is why Jesus Christ, the Son of God, came and, and died on the cross and shed his blood so that the, the barrier of sin between us and God could be eradicated and so we could move closer and closer and closer to God. This is also going to be true in the new heaven and the new earth. You see, the things that we learn about God and his character in eternity is the same God today. Because he is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He's a God who creates. He's a God who connects. He will live literally in camp amongst his people. This speaks of intimate connection and fellowship. And they will be his people. And God himself will be with him. This is, this is really the wonder of heaven. This is the glory of heaven. This is the greatest part of heaven is that God will be there. And not just be there, but in, in, a, in a way that you and I can't even understand, will be intimate with each and every one of us and connect with us on a, in a way that we can't even connect with God now. All of that will be removed in, in a perfect and permanent environment, this new heaven and this new earth. This is what we have to look forward to. This is part of our living hope. You see, and why does God reveal this through someone like John and through the prophets of the Old Testament? Because he wants us to sort of grasp the fact and the reality that we're pilgrims on this earth. That the Bible teaches that we are not just citizens temporarily of earth, but we are permanent citizens of heaven. That's where our permanent residence is. That's where we belong. We really don't belong here 
We're never going to feel like we totally fit in here because we weren't built as followers of God to fit in here. Jesus said, my kingdom is not of this world. We're not going to be at home here, but God is preparing a permanent home for us, a glorious one, one that we can look forward to, not just one that he has prepared like a bride adorned for her husband, but one that he will be able to connect with us in a way that we can't even connect with him now. And then notice verse 4, another part of God's character in eternity is that he's a God of comfort. He comforts his people. Verse 4 says he will one day wipe away every tear from our eyes. He will dry those tears. He will absorb those tears. And death will not exist anymore, or mourning, or crying, or pain, for the former things have ceased to exist. There may be many reasons why when we get there, we shed tears. And I don't want to go into taking a lot of time of why we might be shedding tears when we get there, but we know this. God's going to comfort us when we get there, and he's the one that's going to wipe away those tears. The Bible even tells us that he even gathers up our tears in, in certain vessels and keeps every tear that we ever shed. That's the kind of God that he is. And again, he's like that today because the Bible teaches that he's the God of all comfort. Paul says to the Corinthians, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort who comforts us in all of our tribulations. We need to let God comfort us. God can provide a supernatural comfort that none of us can provide to one another. I mean, certainly we can bear one another's burdens and we can pray for one another and we can come alongside and we can encourage each other but no one can comfort us like god can maybe right now that's what you need is the comfort of god open up yourself to his comfort through his holy spirit he can comfort on a level that none of us can let him dry your tears let him absorb that it's okay to cry it's okay to shed tears it's okay to be emotional. We're not always going to be on top of things, but God is a God who wants to come alongside and comfort. He's also a God, verse 5, who confirms. And the one seated on the throne, because God is on his throne, he's in control. And that's so important in, in days where we feel like everything and everyone is out of our control it's so important to know that God is in control and that he's on the throne. And God says through John, look, again, behold, I'm making all things new. The word speaks of unlike anything that ever came before it. <laughs> I love that. You see, the new heaven and the new earth is going to be unlike anything you and I have known up to that point. It's not just going to be a sort of a renovation of this present heaven and earth. It's going to be unlike anything we've ever known before. And then he says to me, write it down. It's a record to be referenced continually because these words are, notice, reliable, faithful, trustworthy, and true. They are fact. They are reality. And God is confirming it with his own character. His own reputation is on the line here. We know we serve a faithful God. Great is thy faithfulness. His mercies are new every morning. Over and over again, the Bible speaks about the trustworthiness and faithfulness of God, and God confirms these things to us. And if any one of God's promises or prophecies would not have come to pass just as God said, 
then there would be no reason to totally trust and rest in him. But every one of them has, which is why he's asking us to trust him now in our present circumstances and with where our lives are right now because he's a God who is faithful and he's a God who is true. Notice also verse 6. Part of his character is also that he's a God who completes. He says to me, it is done. You see, from God's perspective, the new heaven and the new earth is as good as if it's already happened, like we're already even there. And that's at least 1,007 years from now, even if Jesus came back today. Because God finish, finishes what he starts. And he says... I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. God never starts something and does not see it through to its completion. And again, that should give us comfort in the fact that even the purpose and plan God has for this earth and for you and I, God's going to make sure that he carries it all the way to the completion of what he designed it to do and to be. Paul even said to the Philippians, I'm confident of this very thing, that he who began a good work in you will continue to perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. God is going to see us all through. God never starts something in our life and then doesn't finish it. That's part of his character. And then he cares. To the one who is thirsty, to the one who is eagerly longing for and desiring spiritual refreshment, God will give it free of charge from the spring of the water of life, of abundant life, freely, because of his grace and graciousness. God just gives it because he cares. Jesus was talking one day to a woman and said, the water that I could offer you, if you drink that water, you'll never be thirsty again. God cares for his people. He always provides nourishment and refreshment. And the same God that's going to provide nourishment and refreshment in the new heavens and the new earth that you and I get to look forward to is the same God who can provide nourishment and refreshment to us today. This is what the first part of chapter 21 talks about. What part of what we have to look forward to and, and live with that living hope every day of what's coming for us. But then I want to talk for a few moments about the city of God. Beginning in verse 9, notice it says, Then one of the seven angels who had the seven bowls full of the seven final plagues came and spoke to me, saying, Come, I will show you the bride, the wife of the Lamb. So he took me and literally carried me away in the Spirit to a huge, majestic mountain, and showed me this holy city, Jerusalem, descending out of heaven from God. Now again, as I said earlier, this holy Jerusalem, this city that is descending out of heaven from God is what I believe to be the, the capital city of the new heaven and the new earth. And I believe all of us will one day be able to dwell in that city, but that doesn't mean we are stuck in that city. It, it is simply sort of the, the headquarters, if you will, of the saints of God 
in the new heavens and the new earth. And, and I want to point out a couple particulars about this city. First of all, I want us to see the splendor of this city, which goes back again to what John writes in verse 2 about th this city that's coming from, from heaven, from God, is like a bride adorned for her husband. It, it's compelling, it's attractive, it's appealing, it's inviting. It's beautiful beyond our, our imaginations and beyond description. It's marvelous, it's magnificent. And one of the main reasons why, verse 11, the city possesses the glory of God. The visible manifestation of God's presence, the, the sum of, of his infinite perfections are going to be on full display in this city. You and I are not going to just see glimpses of his glory like, like Moses did or like they did on the Mount of Transfiguration. In our glorified state in the new heavens and the new earth, we're going to be able to behold all of his glory in all of its fullness. In fact, it, John says its brilliance is like a precious jewel, like a stone of crystal clear jasper. Our minds can't even conceive of how majestic and marvelous and magnificent this city that you and I are going to dwell in one day is going to be. In fact, notice at the end of verse 21, the main street of this city is pure gold like transparent glass. And, and you notice, and we're going to get to this in just a moment, all the precious jewels that are part of the foundation of this city, beginning in verse 18 through verse 21. We can't imagine. And, and all of them are built to sort of reflect light. It's going to be incredible. Wherever we have been on this earth, and we have looked at something that maybe made our jaw drop and... and and we were rendered speechless because of the beauty of it, is not even going to be able to be compared to what we will behold one day in the new heaven and the new earth. Because God is building this beautiful city and this beautiful new heavens and new earth, again, for us, to be able to worship Him and serve Him and enjoy it for all of eternity. And yet, the, the thing that has the most splendor is the person of God himself. His glory will rest there and remain there. Then I want you to see, beginning in verse 15, the spaciousness of this city. The angel who spoke to me had a golden measuring rod with which to measure the city and its foundation stones and wall. The city was laid out as a square, its length and width the same. He measured the city with the measuring rod at 1,400 miles. Its length and width and height are equal. He also measured its wall, 144 cubits, according to human measurement, which is also the angels. Simply, what John is trying to say is, this city is going to be plenty big enough for all the redeemed to live in and dwell in if they want to. There is room enough for everybody. Now again, this city is not a place in the new heavens and the new earth that you and I are going to be confined in. 
God is going to create this new heavens and this new earth, and I believe we'll be able to explore this entire new universe, if you will, that God creates. But there's going to be sort of a home base, if you will, a place that we can always come back to, and each of us is going to have a place that Jesus himself said that he would be preparing for us and designing for us and building for us in this city called the New Jerusalem that John sees descending out of heaven from God. To give us somewhat of an idea, it would be like taking the entire space of our own country, the United States of America, and yet instead of it being flat, notice it's a cube. So it's as, it's as high as it is wide, it's as deep as it is long, it, it goes all different directions. It's literally this huge cube. Again, 1,400 miles high and wide and long and deep. So you can imagine then how much space exists. It'd be like taking the United States and then just elevating it 1,400 miles into the air. And all the different sort of levels and, and layers, if you will, of this city. And what's interesting to me is that this, this great city that, that God is preparing for his people and, and for him to be the very center of reminds me on a much larger scale of the Ark of the Covenant and even the, the tabernacle, that it's sort of a, a cube shape. And God always had this, this sort of cube-shaped as sort of representative of his presence and of his people surrounding it. And I just want to again come back, though, to the spaciousness of it. The, the Bible says earlier on in the book of Revelation that there will be people there from every nation, every tribe, every, every kindred. You know, sometimes like, well, you know, is there going to be enough room for everybody in heaven? Oh, my goodness, yes. There was room on the ark for every animal and for Noah and his family. God makes sure that all of those who will be there will have plenty of room, as well as this entire new heaven and this new earth to explore throughout eternity. Then I want you to see the structure again of this city. The city's wall, verse 18, is made of jasper, the city is pure gold like transparent glass. Each of the foundations, again, are a precious stone, jasper, sapphire, agate, emerald, on and on and on. And you think about the structure is just unbelievably beautiful. And then the gates of the city, verse 21, and there's 12 gates, according to verse 12. The, the gates are actually 12 pearls, not, not like a pearl. They are a pearl. How huge is that pearl, you see? And we can only imagine what this looks like, this structure. Very interestingly, too, these verses that describe the, the precious jewels that form the foundation of this city not only remind us of, his, of its beauty, but they are the exact same stones that the high priest wore in his breastplate. And what was the priest's function primarily? He was representing 
the people of God to God. He, he, in a sense, was the access point. And it reminds us again that everything God does, even in the new heaven and the new earth, speaks about having access to him. He's there. And we can live in intimate communion and connection with him. This is what we get to look forward to, you see. A couple of other things about the city that I think is worth noting. Back in verse 12, it talks about this city having massively high walls, but there's 12 gates. And so around the cube, there's, it says there's three gates on every side of the city. And then... We're going to get a little bit ahead into next week. Verse 25 says its gates will never be closed during the day. And since there's no night there, it literally means the gates will never be locked or shut. What's that remind us of? That God has designed this city for mobility, for movement, for us to go in and out all the time. In fact, later on, we're going to be looking at this next week. The Bible says that the leaders of the earth bring their grandeur and their, and their gifts into the city. And there's always this movement and mobility in the city. That's why there's so many gates. That's why there's so many levels. It's going to be a place of mobility and movement. But it's also a city. God has designed a city for his people. Why is that so significant? Because God always saw his people living with him in community with each other, you see. Not separated from each other, not in isolation, not independent, but actually interdependent. Dependent fully on him and interdependent on one another. It's why God revealed to Paul when he wrote the New Testament to, to show the, the people of his church that we are like a body and that the hand is connected to the arm and the arm to the shoulder and all of it and, and that we are part of this body together and each one of us is a part and we are all connected together and that Christ is the head. God never designed for his people to be independent of him or not interdependent on one another. And so even in the eternal state, even in the state of perfection, even in a state where there is no more sin and no more death and no more pain and no more anything like that, God still says, I want my people to be together. I want to be with them and I want them to be. So I'm, I'm designing a city where we all can come back to and all be together in. This is just some of what God has planned for us in the future. And, and that's why God is giving us this information because he wants us to develop and to maintain sort of a pilgrim mentality while we're here on this earth. N not to, to think that this earth and, and, and what we have on this earth and even what we go through on this earth, and, and that that's all there is. He always wants us to be engaged in what he has for us here, but always keeping an eye on the future, on this glorious future that he has for us and what awaits us for all of eternity. Permanent 
perfect fellowship and connection with God and with one another in a perfect environment. And God wants us to live with that hope every day to keep us going to show us we've got a lot to look forward to. Abraham had that mentality. The Bible tells us in the book of Hebrews that Abraham, after God called him out of his hometown of Ur, that Abraham really never settled anywhere. That, that Abraham lived a pilgrim's life. Never totally settled here on earth. And here's why. Because the author of Hebrews reveals to us that Abraham was always looking for a city who had firm foundations, whose architect and builder was God. See, the reason why Abraham could live the way he did here, not getting caught up in earthly things, not investing his life in earthly things, but in eternal things and living for what was coming, was because he kept his eye on that city. If Abraham could be looking forward to that city, the city that we talked about here tonight, that heavenly Jerusalem, that I believe God in some way revealed even back to ancient Abraham, how much more can you and I keep this city and what's coming in mind even during the days of our own lives? And to not get so discouraged and, and to be in such despair about the very temporal nature of our earthly lives because we're here for such a very short time. And Paul even said to the Romans, I'm telling you this for sure, he says, that the suffering that we go through, no matter what it is, and God doesn't minimize it, but he's simply saying in contrast and comparison that the suffering that we go through on this earth will not even be worthy to be compared to the glory that awaits us. That's why God gave someone like the Apostle John these prophecies. They weren't just so that we would have that pie in the sky by and by. Oh yeah, that's nice what God has planned for us with no effect on how we live every day on this earth. No, just the opposite. God gave us these wonderful truths and, and realities about what's coming and what he's designed and planned for us to give us a living hope so that we can look past our present circumstances, no matter what they are, and always know that the best for us as children of God is always yet to come. So again, going back to my initial summary of this chapter, two things. One, we have seen here again tonight that in eternity, God is at the center of it all. We're going to really see that next week when we talk about the worship of God in eternity. That God is at the very center of it. And so if God is at the center of our eternal existence in heaven and the new heavens and the new earth, how much more should God be at the very center of our lives today? And then secondly, to encourage us. If God spends all of this time and and forethought and, and consideration into the design and planning of 
a new heaven and a new earth and, and this new capital city of the new heavens and the new earth. And, and if Jesus is preparing a place for each and every one of his children that he personally is designing and building himself, if God is going to all of that so that we can experience him and enjoy him forever and, and experience what he has for us, can we not trust him with what we have to deal with right here and now? He is a God that pays attention to the most intimate details. And he's taken care of the details of our eternity. If he's taken care of those details and we trust him for eternity, can we not trust him for what we're going through now? Folks, I want to thank you for being with us tonight. I want to remind you that uh, through our website, you can join us again Sunday morning at 10 a.m. right here from the Oasis Church in Gilbert, Arizona once again as we will be live streaming. And then if you also go to our website, www.theoasisaz.com, and you click on the blog up at the top, uh, you can read my blog that I'm writing each and every day and I hope that that will be an encouragement and a strength for you as well. So thanks so much for joining us tonight. God bless.